Welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined this week by my colleague Jay Shavit to discuss the outlook from Europe's big three, plus the word from Emirates. Thank you and enjoy. Hey, Jay, how are you doing today? Hi, Ned. How are you? Good, good. We, uh, we were both chatting before we, we started recording here about the great weather on the U.S. East Coast today, uh, November 2nd. So, you know, we're enjoying that. The winter is definitely coming, as, as we all know. Um, but uh, speaking of winter, we've had the European Big Three, Lufthansa Group, Air France, KLM, and IAG report last week, and, and they gave us a bit of their winter outlook. So what, so what did we learn, what, Jay? Yeah, well, before they, um, we talk about winter, um, they, uh, we'll talk about how they did during the summer. And Europe is, um, it's, it's, it's good that you sort of bring up the seasons here, because for Europe, uh, the airline industry is very seasonal, uh, much more so than the U.S. Uh, Europe, European, and this is even more true of, of let's say, a European low-cost carrier that flies just short haul. But even for the big three, which uh, in, in that group we're talking about, Lufthansa, Air France, KLM, and IAG, uh, though those carriers are seasonal as well. You'll see very, very high margins typically during the third quarter, also to some extent during the second quarter. And then it's sort of the game becomes, uh, how do we not kind of give it all back during the winter? Um, so just uh, to give you a sense of how they did uh, during the summer. So IAG, uh, just like pre-pandemic, they outperformed the other two. They had a 17 or let's say 16.5% operating margin for the third quarter. And for context, it was 19.5% in the third quarter of 2019. And Jay, um, I want to interject there. I mean, that's impressive given the issues IAG had at their Heathrow hub over the summer. It is. And, and, and remember that this is the summer. So you know, when you see those, that that's that number sounds high, but it's not going to be where they end up for the full year. But but you're right. I mean, it it does it it does. I mean, you make a good point. Despite all the distress they had operationally at Heathrow with the flight caps and all that, uh, despite all that, demand was just so good and revenues were so high that they were able to produce a perfectly respectable profit of you know nearly seventeen percent. Which, which again was only you know three striking points from from what they were doing beforehand. So so yeah, I, I, they, they certainly have to be happy with that. Uh, Lufthansa eleven point two percent, Air France KLM twelve point six percent. So IAG did best, Air France KLM second best, and then Lufthansa was third of the group, but all kind of in that same neighborhood. Um, they all did, uh, or sorry, Lufthansa also like IAG did did worse than than in twenty nineteen. Now, interestingly, Air France KLM actually did better this third quarter than in the third quarter of 2019. Uh, wow. Not by much, but by by about you know almost a full point. So, and that was all attributable to Air France itself. Now, KLM actually did worse. And on a previous podcast, we talked about some of their issues at Amsterdam Schiphol Airport. But Air France has actually been um, showing some impressive improvement. And a lot of that is cost cutting. Some of that is, you know, kind of restructuring their what they've had at Orly Airport and, and whatnot. But um, it's uh, and cutting cutting a lot of short haul, which has always traditionally lost money for them or yeah. domestic I mean, specifically. Speaking of, of that change at Orly, you know, they Ben Smith, the CEO of Air France Kalon Group, spoke about uh, how they're shifting Orly to primarily a Transavia, which is their their budget arm. 
hub uh, away from Air France's short haul operations. And, you know, he talked about they already are seeing about a 30 million, rev 30 million euro revenue benefit from the change. And we emphasize it's not profitable yet, but they expect it to be because it's still in the process. And the funny thing here is, is, is ironically, part of this is because of the France's climate law that has barred domestic flights, domestic uh, O&D flights on routes where trains can make two and a half, uh, make trips in two and a half hours. And, you know, there's not many routes that Air France had to cancel, but that definitely gave them the impetus to, it was an impetus to just fly some of these mid-distance routes that Transavia is doing that are actually better performers than, say, for example, Orly to Bordeaux. Yeah, and it's, it's, it may, may, may help them out in the long run. Not Transavia, just more broadly, not speaking about just the Orly operation, but um, they do other things in France, and then there's a whole even larger Transavia uh, Holland, uh, you know, the, the KLM or the, the Dutch side. And at, just collectively, if you take that all together, Transavia um, did a lot worse this summer than they did three years ago. And most of that was, and just yeah, put some numbers on it. It's 14% operating margin this uh, third quarter. That was 25% last, uh, you know, before the pandemic. And that's probably, I wouldn't, you know, worry too much about that if I were Air France. That's, that's more just, they're trying to grow it very aggressively, um, taking advantage of, you know, demand for leisure and is, is very strong right now. And it's so lower that, cost that than, work out. than mainline Air France. So yes. that, that, that yes. too. Yes, exactly. So it's it's kind of re relieving. So yeah, it may be by moving stuff from Transavia, even if Transavia makes a little bit less money, it may help Air France also because you're kind of taking stuff away from it. So that so from the high cost operations. So yeah, you, you make a good point there. Yeah. So summer was good for the big three groups. Um, you know, going back to my my original question, winter though, at least through the end of the year, also looks like it's going to be good. Isn't that that's what that we heard, right, Jay? Yeah, yeah, they they say demand is still, uh, you know, bookings are coming in still uh, very strong, and uh, they particularly um, the the transatlantic market uh, is just right now is is extremely strong. Um, that's what everybody seems to say. Absolutely. And, yeah, and that's that's usually one that doesn't tend to do well in in you know the winters or, or at least you know certain parts of the winter. Um, now I wouldn't you know totally hold my breath on that yeah there's there might be um you know once we get into later in the winter season i mean we're still here we are in november you know once we start to get january february those can be kind of rough months uh so you know let's see what happens but so far you know so good i mean premiums good business is coming back and at the same time you know asia is starting to reawaken now japan looks good mainland china that's still kind of a its own story that's that's not really um, doing much right now, but but Japan is certainly coming back. People talk about you know Finnair was saying Singapore is doing excellent. So you know there, there's stuff that's that's coming back there. And then you know if you're an airline like Air France, which is you know probably has one of the best uh, or let's say most geographically well balanced networks in the world because they have you know they're big they're big in Asia they're big in North, big in North America South America Africa uh, Middle East and. They um, seem to, you know, they, they say things are looking rosy pretty much all around. So, uh, yeah, it's the, the winter outlook looks looks pretty good. Now, of course, there's, you know, talking more about the revenue side, cost outlook is is a little more gloomy um, with the, you know, there's there's currency issues with the strong dollar. 
And obviously oil prices are high and labor shortages are pushing up wages. Airport costs are going up. Uh, so it's not, you know, you kind of have to balance the rosy revenue picture with with that side of the coin too. But um, but but in Absolutely. general, I think I think yeah, I think the Europe, European big three are, are pleased. No, definitely, and it's. <laughs> I have to say, I mean, if if they only see a slowdown in the first quarter that's in line with historic trends, that would be good because of, of yeah. the mm -hmm. larger macroeconomic situation, which has. You know, many worried about a recession. Uh, Germany, Italy are forecast to fall into recession, which will pull down the whole eurozone. But that's another another story. Uh, so if if they do manage to just see a historical slowdown, uh, that would actually be good for the airlines. And we should also note that transatlantic capacity has come in. A lot of summer seasonal flights have been suspended. Uh, immediately come to mind, Iberia suspended their you know Madrid Washington flight for the winter, just as an example. But it's. It's really impressive. And it almost gets me wondering, like, I mean, are the arguments that travel demand at this point in the economic cycle are counter cyclical? And this is what Delta said a few weeks ago, uh, mostly referring to the fact that travel is still a smaller percentage of economic activity than his it historically has been. But we shall see. I mean, clearly people, even though I my friends in Europe have said they are being hit by high energy costs. They're still traveling. Everyone's still traveling. So it's it's really an interesting situation to watch, though. I worry that it could change very quickly. Um, that is always a possibility. Yeah, it could. And Europe's economy is is certainly, uh, you know, kind of bracing for 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 a pretty rough, rough winter with the with the energy crisis over there. And, you know, who knows who knows what what lies lies beyond um, the U.S. economy, maybe maybe sitting on a little bit stronger ground. And, you know, what these. In fact, Lufthansa said something interesting. They they said, look, only I think it was 20% of our revenue is now generated within Germany because we have, you know, we sell a lot of tickets in the United States and we sell a lot of tickets in, you know, here and there. So um, they've, and then you, you consider the joint ventures they have with their US partners. So, you know, Air France, Kayla, Delta, and Lufthansa United, et cetera. They, um, that, also makes them less reliant on one particular geography. So if even if Europe, let, let's say that you know the dollar remains very strong, the US dollar and the you know European outbound travel really does start to weaken, well, that might be okay because they can sort of sell more, you know, they're they're well placed to sell more tickets in the United States or you know wherever else they they might be experiencing a uh you know, strong currency or a strong economy. Maybe, maybe it'll be an oil-based economy, like you know, the Middle East or something. So that 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 will be helpful in trying to you know smooth smooth over any, um, you know, if there if there's any kind of economic uh, hardship that that could sort of help mitigate that. Absolutely. Now you you provided a good fodder for for our transition. We will take a quick break now, Jay, and we'll come back to talk a bit more about the Middle East. Oh, but Ned, before we do that, oh. we cannot forget <laughs> we cannot forget to talk about pending European consolidation. <laughs> ah, and... <laughs> Jay brings up a good point. So, listeners, uh, wait a minute there. Uh, so, yes, Air France KLM uh, talked about both a, their deal for ITA which at this point has ex the exclusivity period has expired and Italian reports are that Lufthansa Group is back in the running for ITA Airways with their partner MSC, a global shipping giant. 
Then TAP in Portugal, also of interest to Air France Calum, and according to the Times of London, uh, of IAG. So there is are a lot of moving pieces in the European consolidation game right now. Yeah, there, there's definitely a consolidation buzz in the air. I mean, you could sort of feel, as you mentioned, that there, there's still that, you know, ITA, uh, old Alitalia, the old carcass of Alitalia is still kind of sitting out there. And the reason why that's important, I mean, IAT is, you know, not much of the, not much to uh, be impressed about there, but um, it is in a very, the, the, the sort of the Italian market, the Northern Italian market in particular is very important um, to uh, both Air France KLM and Lufthansa. A lot of that corporate traffic in, you know, places like Milan and whatnot, um, that gets funneled through, let's say, a hub like Munich in Lufthansa's case or Paris, Amsterdam. So they that's that's why it still remains, you know, very interesting to them, um, even though ITA itself is is not a particularly, you know, attractive airline. Now you mentioned um the Iberian Peninsula, you have IAG that wants to get full control of Air Europa. They own about 20% now, I think. And they're also seem they also seem to be interested in TAP Air Portugal, which is very strong in Brazil and elsewhere in Latin America. And Air France KLM, as Ned did mentioned, um, expressed their own interest in perhaps talking to the Portuguese government about buying TAP Air Portugal. Um, and then there's, you know, the London Times comes out with an article and says IAG may even be interested in buying EasyJet. <laughs> so there's definitely this buzz in the air. And EasyJet, you know, we'll see. That sounds a little bit far-fetched, but um, I think as you reminded me the other day, Ned, uh, EasyJet was the subject of a takeover uh, idea by Wizz Air, right? And That's right. Yep. Last was that a year, year or two ago? Last year. Uh, so, you know, an EasyJet stock is down and the London Times article talked about some, you know, there was just some nuanced uh, details about the shareholder base, um, you know, the founding shareholders now in a different position, may want to sell, et cetera. Um, so who knows? Um, who knows? But, but if we're talking about EasyJet, we have to remember, I mean, EasyJet is, I think, the UK's second largest airline, uh, or is that might be Ryanair, I might be off. But still, it's, will, do we think regulators would let that go forward? I mean, that's my big question. I mean, IAG is already struggling to get approval for their Air Europa takeover that, you know, they've invested years in, uh, let alone, you know, yeah. EasyJet would be, I mean, an even an even bigger uh, concern, I would think, to regulators than than just uh, Air Europa. But again, no, that's... no question, no question. And, and I was I was reminded of that this more of kind of Europe, uh, the European uh, sort of regulator um, sentiment. I was, I was reminded of that this morning while I was writing about Air Canada, um, the European, it was European competition regulators that were responsible for killing Air Canada's takeover of Transat, because that would have affected, even though it's over in Canada, that would have affected, you know, a lot of transatlantic routes into Europe. Right. So that, I I think you raise a good point. I I, I would have a hard time uh, seeing <laughs> for, for anyone to allow, for regulators to allow IG to buy EasyJet. But we'll see. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. I mean, in an ideal world, <laughs> each group gets one airline, like uh, Air France KLM gets TAP, IAG gets Air Europa, and Lufthansa Group gets ITA. But we um, that is not a prediction. We will have to see how this falls out. Uh, on yeah, that yes. note, I'm going to bring back my transition to the Middle East, and we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back to talk about Emirates. And welcome back. Jay and I are going to 
fly from Europe to the Middle East, where Emirates President Tim Clark had an opportunity to talk a bit about what they are seeing at an event in London this week. Jay, do you want to give us some highlights? Sure. And, and as, uh, you know, as many airlines have been reporting, uh, traffic is very much coming back. Uh, you know, Tim Clark said that most of his flights are now full and they're they're booked out well into the, you know, deep into the winter. Uh, so now Emirates is, it's not a publicly traded airline. They don't do earnings calls. They, they do, uh, they do publish their financial reports every six months. Um, we haven't seen the most recent ones yet, but, um, so we don't really have a, a very good window into what's going on there, but we, we can certainly tell from those comments that, you know, the planes are full, business is back, uh, and we should say and, Clark, Clark is known for being frank. So he's not he's not an executive that is known for you know glossing over things when it's actually terrible. So if, if things were bad, we would have gotten that sense from him. Yeah, no, I think it's a fair characterization. And and we just know from other airlines, you know, when Air France, for example, Air France KLM says that their Middle East flights are doing well, then you know, we kind of have a sense that that Emirates must be picking up some of that as well, those same trends. Uh so so I think it, it is a now now structurally. Emirates finds itself in a unique position with all those A380s. Um, that's, you know, Tim Clark probably won't, won't tell you that. He won't be frank about this, but um, they, you know, they, they are a big burden, those A380s. Um, they, just the economics of them are, it's, it's a, you know, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't square up with, with competing planes. And so, you know, Emirates has tried to get Airbus to produce sort of a newer version of the A380 with better economics, but I think, you know, that's very, 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 very slim chance that, that Airbus would do that. Um, so they, you know, they do have some unique issues. They've also ordered a whole bunch of these new 777s that Boeing is building, and they also are sort of subject to questions of whether the economics on that are going to be very good. Um, you know, it's not a composite aircraft. It's, uh, you know, it's, it may be too big. It's not to uh, mention no, years late, years late, and nobody else is really buying the thing. I mean, they've sold it to a handful of airlines, but uh, it's certainly not been very popular. So they may have made another, you know, aircraft uh, ordering mistake there as well. We'll, you know, we'll have to see. Um, they do have uh, what we say. We were looking at this earlier, but uh, they have seven, eight, seven, nines on order, some A three fifties, and are we missing anything? I think those were the uh, the couple of A three eighties still yet to come as well. Right. I mean, they've got they've got yeah the robust aircraft pipeline for sure there, and of course the triple seven X is is the big question mark, but. You know, yeah, they have down. to have 115 of them on order, and both both, <laughs> the, both the eight series and the nine series. Oh, wow. so they're they're really counting on this aircraft to be a big part of their, um, you know, future fleet. Definitely, definitely. So yeah, it's I mean, Emirates is just an interesting story. You know, one of the things that jumped out this week, uh, thanks to an analysis by OG, of course, is how budget airlines have really made some inroads in the Gulf, including in Dubai. Um, you know, Emirates, of course, is not back to full capacity, so it's hard to say how much of that share shift will will stick. But it doesn't seem, you know, it seems like there's traffic to go around based on some of the some of the shift we're seeing there and, and what Emirates is saying about demand. And you listened to Jazeera earnings earlier this week and, and they talked about strength as well, right? 
Yeah, I was just just writing up their earnings this morning as well. They um yeah exactly they uh they're you know demand is great and they're expanding and um they uh they yeah that one one kind of side uh comment they they made which is interesting is they were talking about the World Cup the FIFA World Cup right uh which is uh starts in a couple of weeks now and they they're they're participating in I guess Qatar has some program where um. There, you know, certain airlines are going to offer shuttle flights into Doha to bring fans in. But they speaking said, about shuttle flights, what was it? Fly Dubai has twenty-five daily flights scheduled on one day. I, I remember talking about this number with you, but I mean, it's it's almost every thirty minutes. It's crazy. Right, right, yeah. No, they got there's a lot of fans that are coming in, but despite the volume of traffic, uh, it's these these kind of events don't tend to be great for airlines. It may seem counterintuitive. You may, you know what, that's uh, they should, that's, that's a bonanza, but it's really not. And part of it is because, you know, during these events, sort of other people tend to stay away, business travelers, like, oh, I'm not booking during the World Cup. Things are too busy. The hotels are all booked. I think there's even some special circumstances in this case, like Qatar won't even let you in if you don't have a ticket. So there's going to be a lot of, you know, other, other travelers that are staying away. And then it tends to be, you know, the yields can be high, but it tends to be very directional traffic. So you you might have on a given day, like everybody flooding in on a flight to, on flights to get to the match, but then the flights going outbound that night are completely empty. So it's not, and, and Jazeera basically said that, that this is, you know, this is not going to be, it's maybe a marginal benefit to us, but don't, right. you know, don't and get that too goes, That's like the Olympics. We traditionally, yes. I, I remember when London hosted in 2012, uh, IAG, you know, reported as a, a drag on their earnings that quarter going back and look. So it's, you know, these big events tend to not be big yeah. money makers for airlines, though they can definitely raise the prestige and, and everything. Yeah, even in the Super Bowl in the U.S. Yeah, right. I mean, it can help like from a marketing point of view, you know, whatever you get your late, you get your brand in front of a lot of people. But uh, but yeah, that's not not a big money maker. Right, right. Very good. Well, Jay, thank you again for joining for another episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge. Uh, you can reach me, Ned, at er at skip.com. You can reach Jay at js at skip.com. Jay, have a good one. Yeah, thanks, Ned, and hope to see uh, everybody at the Skift Aviation Forum in Dallas coming up. Just uh, we're we're getting pretty close, aren't we? That's right, November 16th. Hopefully we'll see everybody there. Take care, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.